Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another edition of Pod Jerky. On today's episode, we have a very special guest. Her name is Constance Jones, and she is a published author as well as a philanthropist. Welcome to the show, Constance. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. So let's start off with how are you doing right now? How are you coping with the whole COVID situation and quarantine? Uh, You know, it's difficult to be stuck in the house, you know, all the time and not being able to socialize as much as I would like to. And just the whole economy and everyone dealing with all these struggles and, you know, challenges right now. So it's not the best time, but my husband and I are doing well. We're able to both work from home and, you know, we have a comfortable home. So it's not like we're not enjoying ourselves in the time that we have to. Together, but yeah, we're coping. All my family and friends are safe and doing well. Yeah, that's great. I mean, I guess the main thing is is that everybody's healthy, right? Absolutely. Now, I don't know if you know this, but this show is in Canada. And have you been on a Canadian podcast yet? I have not. No. <laughs> so this is going to be your Canadian debut. Perfect. Okay. <laughs> Perfect. So your publicist had actually reached out on Facebook and and asked for you to come on to talk about a few things, mainly about your book, Infertility, and I guess the standard of care for Black women in the healthcare system when experiencing loss. There's so much to talk about, but why don't you just give us a brief background about yourself right now? So I was born and raised in San Diego, California. I am one of nine children. And, you know, we grew up very poor and in a dysfunctional home. My father was an alcoholic. So my mom was a single mother majority of the time. And, you know, we just had a lot of struggles growing up, just making sure that, you know, we were able to make ends meet. My mom was working all the time. And at the age of 14, you know, I got really, really, really depressed. And I tried to commit suicide as a teenager. So that happened. But thank God I, I survive that. And then um, at 15, I was diagnosed with generalized epilepsy. So that was another layer of things that I had to learn to deal with and accept and move forward. So those types of things have happened throughout my life. And then I was the first person in my home to go to college and graduate. So throughout my entire life, I've always been one to strive for more to keep going to not let my circumstances dictate my future. And I know that, you know, we all have past and sometimes we allow those things that happen to us that are painful and that hurt to keep us from following our dreams and moving forward in life. So um, I'm a strong believer in believing in yourself, accepting help when you need it, and just being a strong person and being able to transition from where you are to where you want to be. You know, life's all about transformation. And I wrote my book, Emerging Butterfly, to inspire other people to make sure that, you know, that they are following their dreams and just, you know, to let them know that from everywhere I've been, if I could get through it, they could get through it. And just giving some tips, because I think there's power in each of our stories. And if we're not willing to share them, how can we let other people know that they're not alone in theirs? Right. I believe that, too. I mean, that's a that's a good message to send out to people, because sometimes people feel that they're alone in certain situations. They don't know where to turn. And sometimes it turns out to be a bad situation for them. And at least if you have some kind of a message to turn on or to look at, then you might be able to get through it. Because, you know, I I find that some people are afraid to speak with their families about it or with their friends about it. But if they're able to get into a book like yours or to speak to somebody like you who they don't necessarily know on a personal basis, then they may be able to get a little bit of insight into what's going on and to show that they're not alone. Yes, 
Absolutely. I think that's so, so very important. And, you know, being in the position that I am now during my philanthropy work, I work with a lot of youth and a lot of families that, you know, are in the same situation that I was in growing up. And people would look at me and think that, you know, my life's been perfect because, you know, I've gone to college and, you know, I'm well established in life. And, you know, I didn't deal with any of the things I dealt with. But by sharing my story, I'm able to let people know that it's not always all good. It's not, you know, rainbows and everything your whole life. Like I had to work for it. So I don't want anyone to give up on themselves and wish that, you know, they were they were given like this golden spoon. Um, that would be nice if we all got it, but we don't all get that. So how can we how can we recognize where we are to get to where we want to be? And if that means, you know, education, if that means getting support, if that means therapy, if that means, you know, reaching out to other people, like we have all those resources available to us. We just have to look for them and um, be willing to take that that leap and that journey to get to where we want to be. Now, it might be a little bit different between Canada and the U.S. Now, if you're going through a therapy session or um, some kind of education system, something like that, will it be costly to somebody in that situation? I know here we have some kind of free programs that are offered to people that are going through troubling times, but I'm not sure exactly what the protocol is in the U.S. In the U.S., I mean, for me, I got scholarships and I took out loans for college. So that's how, you know, I was able to to do that. But I know like there are a lot of community colleges and things like that, state universities that are um, or at least were during my time a lot less expensive. So those are options. And again, there are scholarships. But I also worked really hard. I worked two jobs while I was in college um, to be able to afford, um, you know, where I went and living and all my expenses and things like that. The loans didn't cover that. So I still had to work really hard, but I made it happen. And then as far as like therapy goes, I didn't get therapy growing up like black people a lot of times at least as far as community that I lived in nobody went to therapy ever like we didn't even talk about it but as an adult you know I realized that a lot of the traumas that I experienced as a youth were following me throughout my life and I was living in this circle I was recreating a lot of the things that I experienced growing up in my you know adult life and I didn't want to keep that circle going so how was I going to get out of that. And so for me, I needed therapy to start talking out some of those feelings, expressing, you know, how I felt and finding ways to whether it's journaling or meditating or, you know, just acceptance and forgiveness, all the things that you need to do and just self reflection and and growth. And how can I make that happen for myself? I had to learn all of those tools. And it took a while. But you know, and I still go back, if I'm going through a certain situation, and I might need help. Sometimes you don't want to talk to a best friend. Sometimes you you want to go to a third party who, you know, is not going to say anything to anybody else, but you can talk and you can get it out and you can work through it. But for therapy, yeah, it can be expensive, but there are ways to get support from local nonprofit organizations that can help you to get the help that you need. We're going to take a quick break to show some love to another podcast. Hey, it's John Francois. Join me and my co-host Main Squeeze Mary every week for some crazy, fun pop culture chatter. It's called The Anything Show. Here's a taste. Did you know that Japan has banned screaming on roller coasters to try to limit the spread of coronavirus as amusement parks reopen. You cannot scream in Japan on a roller coaster. (laughs) 
I, I, I wouldn't be able to do it. I mean, you've been on a roller coaster with me, Mary. I'm almost on the verge of crying. I curse a million different curse words. <laughs> you said every single curse word there is. Yeah, and 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 there were people laughing that were around my age, and then there were and then there were kids next to me that were wondering what the heck these new words were that they were learning. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it was it was insane. So after they get off the ride, they say, "Mommy, Daddy, what does this mean?" <laughs> They're like, oh, "Where did you hear that?" Find the Anything Show with John Francois on Apple, Spotify, Google, wherever you get your podcasts. And you can also follow us on Facebook at The Anything Show and on Instagram at Anything Show Francois. Yeah, that's awesome. And and speaking of, I guess, not wanting to speak to best friends or family members, I was listening to some of your podcasts or some of the interviews that you have done online already. And you talked about fertility issues um, mm-hmm. growing up and mm-hmm. up until now. And I can tell you, I don't know if you've listened to the episode that we have on our podcast. My wife and I went through fertility issues and we have a whole episode on it. And it became very difficult to, I guess, talk with your friends about it and talk with your family about it. It's a whole nother thing to actually bring up with the people that you're close to because you see it happening with everybody else. They're all getting pregnant. They're all having kids. Yeah. And and it becomes very difficult to speak about with your friends. Yes. So we we actually did go into a little bit of therapy as well. Mm-hmm. And we had to do certain things just to have certain procedures done as well. Um, now, do you want to talk about your, I guess, infertility as as well? Like you, you were Absolutely. speaking about that in some of the interviews I was listening to. Yeah, absolutely. You know, like I said, my mom, she was one of nine. So she's very fertile, right? So I never thought, you know, I'd have a problem having children. It was never even something I considered. The first time I got pregnant, I just assumed I would have a baby. I've had five miscarriages. So, um, you know, I've been on this road for a while. But um, but yeah, the first time I, you know, I was young, I was like 22. And it happened. And I'm like, okay, well, great, I'll have this baby. And then it didn't happen. And so then, you know, I got pregnant the second and third time. And it still didn't happen and finally married my um my husband my second marriage and we got pregnant and we were excited it was the longest I carried a baby I was all the way up to 19 weeks before I'd always lost my um my babies like in the first trimester so this one I was like you know really far along and I thought okay this one it's gonna it's gonna work out and because of the epilepsy that I have and the medication that I take and the history of the miscarriages and having to get all the um, the procedures done the medical abortions and the scar tissue and everything that developed it just made it that more difficult for me to have a baby you know a successful pregnancy so I was like at 40 is it 43 percent of a chance to have a recurring miscarriage after that third one so you know my my percentage was already really high anyway, but I didn't know that, you know, I just thought I was healthy. I was doing well. I was on my medication. It shouldn't have been a problem. I talked to my doctor, everything was supposed to be okay. And it it just didn't work out that way. My baby that was 19 weeks, she um, had hydrocephalus, which is basically um, the fluid in the brain. And um, they recommend that we terminate the pregnancy. So that was really difficult because before that, you know, it was like, I didn't have a choice. It just happened and I had to go through a procedure, but this time I had to make the choice to end that. And that was like the worst experience that I've ever had. And then, yeah, talking to friends about it, like my first couple of miscarriages, I was hurting and it was hard. And the last two, I did get some therapy to work through it. But but yeah, you see your friends having babies and it just comes so easily to them and they're happy and you want to be happy for them. I had to give a baby shower, you know, right around the time that I lost it because I had already signed up to do this. And I couldn't at the last minute say, no, I can't throw your baby shower because I just lost my baby and I just couldn't do it. So, you know, and I think people who are 
going through these types of challenges, they don't always understand and don't know how to give support. And, you know, they either distance themselves from it or they have good intentions, but they don't necessarily um, know how to talk to you about it. So, you know, you get both sides of the spectrum. So sometimes for me, I just avoided that altogether because I didn't feel like I wanted to bring other people down or feel like, you know, I'm just sitting here as this victim. Like, why me? Why can't I do it? I went and I got the help that I needed. But yeah, it was it's a struggle. At this point in my life, I've decided not to continue to try to have children. I use my philanthropy work with helping the youth and the families as a way to work through that grief and give back and still find purpose and fulfillment in my life. But going through those those, um, those struggles are really, really difficult because you feel alone, you feel ashamed. And for me, I felt like my body betrayed me. Um, you know, I already lost control of the way that my body performs when I was diagnosed with epilepsy. And then to have it again on the opposite end where I, I have no control whether or not I can keep this pregnancy. So I just felt like I was very isolated and no one I knew had really gone through it. I had one friend who ended up doing IVF, but after she got IVF, she had her twins and she carried the baby and everything was great. So people struggled, but the people I knew that struggled still ended up with their baby in the end. And I didn't. Right. See, we, we went through the same kind of situation where we see all of our friends having kids and our family members, our brothers, our cousins having kids. And we, we look at it and we say, you know, we, we want to be so happy. We showed them that we're so happy. But at the same time, you're hurting inside because you're saying, you know, why can't we do this as well? We actually ended up going through IUI. We went through IVF treatments and we still weren't able to conceive. And at this point, we did uh, stop trying to have children now because we've gotten a little bit older. We're in our 40s and uh, we just, I guess, just stopped trying to do it. But Mm-hmm. We did have our friends support, but like you said, it, it was hard for them to understand what we were going through as well. And it was hard for them to talk about it. So you felt like you had nobody to turn to in that situation and you felt like you were by yourself. And that was the difficult part of it. Mm-hmm. And I actually saw on your Instagram page, you had a picture that said, why don't you adopt or something mm-hmm. along those lines? Yeah. You know, you get those questions from your friends because they don't understand either. They don't understand. Oh, don't worry. It's going to happen. Why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? Like we haven't looked at those options already. Mm-hmm. And it actually made my wife cry uh, when she her. saw that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, because she saw that picture and she's like, you know what? We've experienced that. We've gone through that. We've heard that same thing, you know, and it's almost as it's kind of shaming women when you're asking, you know, why don't you adopt? And it kind of made my wife tear up and she was like, it's so true. Mm-hmm. It is really, it's it's painful because, you know, like I said, it's intentions. They have good intentions. They're saying like, oh, well, you know, don't give up. It's it's okay. You can still have children. There are still other ways for you to do it. But what if I wanted to have my own biological child and I wanted to experience the pregnancy process? Not to say that there's anything wrong with adoption because I think it's, a, it's great and it's important for people to do, but people, everyone has their different paths. And this is the path that I wanted to go down. And it didn't work out for me. So yeah, I get all kinds of stuff like, well, it'll happen. You know, it was, I'm in my forties now too. So that's another reason I'm like, I, I'm okay. <laughs> but you know, if the whole, it'll happen when it happens and you know, 
the adoption or the surrogacy. That was another thing. And they don't think about people not having, you know, some people don't have the funds to do that either. And so they, but they still want to, so it's a slippery slope when they, people have good intentions, but they don't really know the pain that, that those statements can cause because they're not going through it and they haven't educated themselves on how to support you. So that's just one of their things like, oh, there's a solution. Just do this, you know, and, and that's not like that. I can't go pick up a baby from a store and be like, okay, I've adopted everything's great. It, it doesn't work that way. And why are we the only ones that, you know, the people who can't have children, children are the only ones that should be thinking about adoption. Like other people can do it too. If you already have kids, you can still do that, you know, but, but I don't think a lot of people look at it that way, unless they really know someone who's going through it and have had that type of honest conversation with them. Right. And I think if they haven't experienced it, then that's their way of trying to help you out and Mm -hmm. trying to push you through the the tough times. It's just that we've already experienced that we've already gone through those situations. So we already know it's not like, you know, we look at it and go, oh, why didn't we think about, you know, this situation (laughs) or this situation? We already know we've been down that road. So and, and I get it. Like I their intentions are great. But at the end of the day, you know, we've already been there, done that. Right. Mm hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Now, have you gone through any of that? Is it that you had your miscarriages? Now, did you move on to IUI and IVF or did you not go through that route? I didn't go through that route. The one I was talking about where I I was 19 weeks, I had one other pregnancy after that and it ended within the first trimester as well. And I was already 38 at that time. So I I was at the point where I I didn't want to put my body through it anymore, like physically or mentally, right? Because I was having gotten that far along, my body changed, right? I'm I'm feeling it in different areas from the baby move. Like I'm, you know, you're gaining this weight. Things are changing, right? And to go put your body through that so many times and then the mental part of it just losing it and it, it, it was just, it was too much for me. I just couldn't do it anymore. And so I didn't even think about IUI or IVF. It just wasn't something that I wanted to do anymore. I didn't want to spend the money on it, but it wasn't even the money. I just didn't, I didn't want to try to be pregnant anymore. I, I just didn't want to put my body through it. I don't think I could. I think my husband, he would have been okay with us trying again. But after we went to therapy and really talked about it, and I was able to express my feelings about how I felt and what, what the toll it took on my body. I think he understood then and he said, you know, okay, well, it's, I'm, I'm happy with you. This is the life that we're going to have. We can still have fulfillment, still have purpose. If at any point in time you want to change your mind, then we can review it. But if not, I'm totally fine with it because I understand and I don't want to put you through that again. And so we just decided to do something different. Yeah. We're going to take another break to help out another podcast. Every 73 seconds, someone is sexually assaulted in the United States. We are here to tell you, you are not alone. Blackbird, an advocacy podcast, tells the stories of victims and survivors of true crime with a focus on the support these survivors need. We provide information for those who have endured trauma and for those who love someone who has. Tune in every Sunday on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts to hear these stories of hope, survival, and empowerment. No one should go through this alone. We believe you. That was Sarah from Blackbird, an advocacy podcast. Make sure you tune in and hit that subscribe button.
Yeah, definitely. So what what kind of strain do you think it put on a relationship? I know with my wife and I, you know, we were there for each other. The first time that we went through the actual IUI procedure, we kind of got our hopes up because we didn't know what to expect, but we were like, okay, you know what, this is going to work. We have a good feeling about this. And then we got the phone call saying, guess what? It was negative and we kind of broke down. But I mean, we had each other's backs. We were there for each other. You know, we supported each other. We talked about what we were going to go through next. What kind of effect did it have on your relationship? You know, okay, so I've been married twice. My first marriage is where I had the the first three um, miscarriages. And so that one, I think it took a, a really, a really tough hit. We didn't make it because I just think among other things, like the miscarriages just put like another layer on top of like the struggles we were already having in our relationship. So I feel like that was just kind of like one of the straws that just broke it. And with this marriage and the last two pregnancies that we had together, I think the hardest part for us is not that we didn't support each other because we did, but I feel like as men and women, we grieve differently. And I was depressed for quite a few weeks. I didn't really want to go anywhere. I didn't want to do anything. It was just, I was in a bad place and he still got up and went to work every day. And he's like, you know, you gotta, you gotta power through it. I'm, and I'm like, you don't understand where I am, how I'm feeling, how my mind is going. Like, you don't understand. And he's like, well, I do understand because I'm grieving too, but we do it differently. And so even though he was able to get up and go and do his daily activities and thought, you know, okay, it's been a week or two, you should be able to get up and get going again you know it doesn't always work that way so I think that was that was a a big challenge for us just kind of coming to terms with the way that we grieve and the way that we get past it and and are able to move forward it it took it took me a while longer than it did for him and we're in a good place now but it was a strain for a few months just just because I wasn't feeling like 100% myself And and everybody handles things differently right I mean I could be the same as going to work every day because it would take things it would take things right off my mind it would uh, distract me and then you could have my wife who was home for a couple of days just because she was upset and she wanted to be left alone with her own thoughts so everybody handles it differently and you can't expect the other person to handle it the same exact way that you do mm-hmm. absolutely absolutely so you wanted to touch again on I guess the standard of care for I guess black women that are experiencing loss in the healthcare system. Mm-hmm. So this is something that with everything that's been going on in the world and, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement and just kind of seeing the the institutionalized racism and things that we experience here in the U.S. especially, you know, I started doing research because I didn't know a lot about my history. And the more I started looking at things, I started looking more into the like the healthcare system because I've had my own challenges when going to the doctor, like my third pregnancy, I had had clotting few, a few days before I actually had that miscarriage and I called my doctor and my doctor you know not saying anything bad but it was a a white woman and I called her and I said hey I'm spotting I think it might be a good idea for me to come in and check in and just make sure everything is okay I'm at the 12 week point you know and she's like oh no that's just normal and I'm like well the first two I had I started with spotting and then I had a miscarriage are you sure she's like oh just wait till your next appointment you're fine unless it's you're bleeding heavily you don't need to worry about it well I'll see you in a week or so so I'm like okay so I I went through the you know my day-to-day went shopping and everything and then I'm at at the store and all of a sudden I get these cramps I get dizzy and then I start bleeding really heavily like down my legs and I pass out and I wake up in the hospital 
So I hemorrhaged and I lost the baby. And the thing is, like, could that have been caught before if she wouldn't have dismissed me and my feelings and said, oh, no, I know best. Instead of taking in consideration what I was saying, how I was feeling, like, it wouldn't have taken anything for her to say, yeah, come on in. Let me just take a look to to at least care. And I felt like she didn't care. I didn't feel valued that my voice was dying. And so when I was doing all this research and learning more about the healthcare system, you know, that experience among others that I had really stuck out to me. And so I started looking more about what are black women going through in, in the medical, um, when they're, when they're in the medical system and they're pregnant. And surprisingly, I found out like they're three to four times more likely to die during birth. And I was just like, then white women, then other people of color, black women are really struggling when it comes to delivering. And we always hope, everyone hopes like when they get pregnant and they have this baby that, you know, I just want my baby to be healthy. I just want my baby to be healthy. I don't care what it is, you know, but black women, they have to think, well, not only do I want my baby to be healthy, but I want to make sure I survive delivery so that I can raise my child. And that's, I can't even imagine, like, that's the most horrible thing to have to think about. And the fact that many of us don't even know that that is the case, then we're not creating experiences in a birth plan to make sure that we can ensure the best possible scenario. And it's hard, right? Because a lot of Black women who are in the poor social economic status, they don't have access to the health care that a lot of other people have, right? You know, government funding, you know, has shut down a lot of the local clinics and hospitals. So they, they need to go to the hospital, they have to travel far. And a lot of them, they're working full time, and they're working two jobs, and they're not making a lot of money, then, you know, they don't have time to do that. They can't take off work, get sick leave. And they may not have benefits. So when they finally do go to the hospital, um, they're usually far into their in their pregnancy before they even see an OBGYN to even get checked out. So the prenatal care starts a lot later for them. And then during the postpartum period is where a lot of times women will die because they've done the hemorrhaging or the heavy blood loss because things haven't been monitored, right? And that happens in the postpartum uh, phase and they don't have any more insurance, right? It runs out during that period. And so again, there's an area where the healthcare is missing. There's a gap. And so what do we do? How do we educate people so that they're more aware of these types of things that are happening? It's really sad, but I think awareness is so important because, I mean, you can always make sure that, you know, you know how to ask the right questions when you do go to the doctor. A lot of us don't know. What does it mean to for you to like, what's your response time if I call you? What is the birth time going to be like? How do you treat, you know, your patients? Like, what should I expect? All of those things. If you don't know what to ask, you can end up with a practitioner who feels like you don't know anything about what it's like to have a baby and they make the decisions for you because they feel like you probably won't understand the terminology of what they're saying because you've gone in and you're unprepared expecting them to be the expert, but you have to advocate for yourself. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think in this world right now, so much awareness has to be brought up for a whole bunch of things. It's not just, I guess, the healthcare system, but just a whole mm-hmm. a whole lot of things right now that are going on in the world. So to bring awareness up for that would be a great thing. Um, I read an actual a statistic online the other day, and it was a study done out of the University of Michigan. And it said that 32% of black women who they actually said that they feel incomplete if they didn't have their own biological children. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. that's, that's a high stat. Do you know why that stat would be so high? Yes, because I mean, I don't want to take it too far back. But you know, if you go back to slavery, we were used a lot for breeding, right to breed more more slaves so that we could do the work in the fields. And so we've always been, um, it's been, I don't know, stereotype that we 
are super fertile, right? So we grew up thinking that this is just something natural that we do, you know, society, you know, our family, it's just, it's just normal. We, we're supposed to be able to have kids. And we don't, at least for me, a lot of us don't know um, people within our community that have struggled, because if they have struggled, they've done it in silence. And so, you know, when, when it happens to us, it's like, well, why can't I? Why am I the only one? Like, I, I'm supposed to be fulfilling this purpose and I'm not able to, and it's not normal. And why are all my sisters and brothers and, you know, cousins and everything being able to have babies and I'm not. So then when you tell your, like, for instance, I told my mom that I was having these struggles and um, she's like, oh, well, you know, just keep trying. It'll happen. I had all these babies. Just keep trying, you know? And I'm like, it, it, that's not it. You know, it is hard. Like I felt like I was less of a woman. I felt broken. I felt that I wasn't complete because I wasn't able to create this family. And I think it's just because of the way that we've been taught growing up. It's that black women are fertile. You're supposed to have children. And if you don't, you don't talk about it or there's something wrong with you. Yeah, that was interesting. I just I, I found that as a really high stat. And because I don't do research on a lot of statistics and numbers and, and stuff like that in the healthcare system, I found that very, very high just for myself to, to see that that number was at that like 32%. So I mean, I know a lot of people go through a lot of this with struggles and don't talk about it. Or now I know that they feel the way that they feel with being incomplete, with not being able to have their own biological children. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's heartbreaking because at least for me, I wanted to see a replica of myself, right? And, and, and see what that was like. And, you know, when you're not able to do something that is expected of you that other women are able to do, you end up comparing yourself to them and wondering why, you know, they can have something that I can't and they're able to complete their purpose as a woman, basically, you know what I mean? Fulfilling this biological part that is supposed to be working. And yeah, when you don't, when you don't experience that, it is heart wrenching. Like for me, acceptance and giving that up, that was hard. It was, it was really hard, but at, at some point you have to decide, is that going to be part of what defines you as a person, as a woman, whether or not you can have a biological child, or is it the impact that you make within your life, the purpose that you feel and how you're able to help others? If you stay stuck in that space where, you know, you feel like you're not enough because of this one thing, then, you know, it will end up terrorizing you until you're able to accept it and move on. I agree. Now, what, what advice can you give to turn grief into strength? You know, for that, I would say just I feel like when anyone is in a really bad space, sometimes it just helps to get out, take a walk, get out and help someone. Helping someone, I think it brings so much joy, at least for me. It brought so much joy that I was able to let go of some of the things that I was dealing with because I saw people in worse situations than I was. And I was able to say, wow, you know, I might be going through this and that doesn't take away any of my pain. But I know that I could do something to help someone else. So but for me, also, I, just therapy was was great. Journaling was really, really helpful. Talking to my husband and, you know, talking to some of my friends and just taking time to reflect. I took some time off work um, just to give my, you know, my mind and body a rest. When I was going through some of those really difficult times, I, I exercised to get myself healthy and get my mind calm. 
So there are a lot of different things that you can do that can aid in your your healing process. Um, but for yeah, one of the main things I would say is to once you're able to get out and do something to help someone else, and that always brought me joy. Yeah, I mean the way that my wife and I looked at it was we can't have kids of our own, but we know all of our friends have kids. My brother and his wife have three kids, and we're just going to be the best aunt and uncle that anyone could ever imagine, and we're going to be the best to our kid, our friends' kids as well. We're going to do everything we can for them. We're going to help them out with whatever we can. And we know that we're going to make a difference in their lives. So, I mean, that's what we took away from it, Mm -hmm. from not being able to have kids. We wanted to turn that negative into a positive as well. Absolutely. And that's what my foundation, Elevate Foundation does. Like we've helped so many different nonprofits. Right now I'm working with Girls Rising and it's a mentorship for young disadvantaged women or girls. And we've uh, sponsored STEM events. We've gone and and worked with them one-on-one. Right now I'm working on some cool little like book club packages for them. So like while they're in, you know, quarantine, they they can read and and we can do a book club together and just talk and, you know, just uh, just supporting them. I have 12 nieces and nephews. So again, like you, I try to be the best auntie, you know, I can be. And, you know, my husband is the same. We just try to make sure that we're there for them. And we're, we're helping kids. We just want to help kids. And um, if we can't have our own, these will be the kids that we never had. And I've seen that you've partnered with Detour, Ronald McDonald House, uh, Feeding San Diego, a whole bunch of them. Do they have any significance to you? Yes, definitely. Um, the groups like Detour, Girls Rising, um, anything like working with young women that are in disadvantaged situation, I really identify with them um, based on my past. And so I had people in my life that stuck out to me that were beacons of hope and so and an inspiration. And so I want to be that for, for these young women. And then when it comes to like um, places like Ronald McDonald House, I've had family members, uh, nieces and nephews that have been in accidents and they had to go there and they didn't have a lot of money but the the Ronald McDonald house helped them and sheltered them and and fed them and did all those things and so that's one of the things that we decided that we wanted to do um and we do it several times a year and we'll go sponsor one of the meals and then we actually go and we volunteer and we bring groups of volunteers with us and the greatest thing about that is um we are able to get some of the the young women or young um young men that we help in their families one of the things we ask them is, you know, hey, you know, so great. We're able to do this for you. It would be really great. The next event that we have, but we need some volunteers. If you can come help us, that'd be great. And the last time we did that at Ronald McDonald House, we had like 20 some odd, you know, additional volunteers that we didn't expect and they didn't have enough work for us to do. So, you know what I mean? That kind of, that, those kind of things where you're paying it forward and you're helping other people to realize the importance of that, um, that, that is really something that, that speaks to us. And we, we want to continue to do things like that. With the Elevate Foundation, is it that is your full-time career right now, or do you do this on top of your career? I do this on top of my career. All this is on top of my career. So I have a regular like nine to five, although flexible now with this work from home situation a little bit more flexible but but yeah this is all outside of it and because ours is a foundation not a technically a nonprofit, this is our own funds that we're using we set aside you know funds every year that we use just to donate to different nonprofits that we feel fall in line with our our goals of inspiring inspiring others uplifting and helping to rebuild communities so if they if i feel like their vision and their mission falls in line with that 
then we we like to support them. And we don't necessarily we don't just give money. We also want to make sure that we are are volunteering and spending our time helping. And we're not just writing a blank check for us. That's not what we want to do. We want to be a part of the process and and do the work as well. But yeah, it's something that we do outside. Um, this is our fifth year and we will have given over $100,000 of our own funds to help the organization. So we're really proud of that. Yeah, we just want to keep doing it. Wow, that's amazing. That's a lot of money to um, to be able to give like give back into the community and to help out. Thank you. Yeah, we, we love to do it. We've helped high school kids and given out scholarships for college and just, you know, things that we, we my husband came from a disadvantaged background as well. Uh, he had to work really hard to bring himself up. And so being able to do that for someone else is really important to us. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to take one more break to help out another podcast. Hey, everyone. I am Nick. And I'm Russ. And if you're looking for a podcast about current events that's well-informed, highly educated, and safe to share with your whole family, that's not us. Nope, it's not. But here at the Nick and Russ Don't Know Anything podcast, we have an opinion about everything and don't mind sharing it. That we do. New episodes every Wednesday and Saturday. Check us out at nickandrust.com. And find us on Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and many more, including YouTube. Thank you, and I love you all. Mwah! That was Nick and Russ from Nick and Russ Don't Know Anything. Make sure you tune in and hit that subscribe button. Okay, so now I want to get in a little bit about the emerging butterfly. Uh, we haven't got to really speak on that yet. Unfortunately, I haven't had a chance to read that yet. Um, but if you want to give a little bit of a background, don't give away too much of it because you do want people to go and, and purchase the book. Um, so basically give uh, people just a background on what the book's all about. Um, so the background is just basically, um, it's a memoir. So it's about my life. And I've talked about a few of the things that I've struggled with here um, with you today on the podcast. But this just really gives, a, like you you have a seat to my life. You're in, in the seat, you know, you're watching me go through all of these different, these different challenges. And um, I show you how I was able to get through them. And so I feel like in, in this book, you know, I cover suicide and depression. I go through my infertility challenges. Also talk about, you know, my relationship with my parents and where I am now in life and how I'm able to continue to grow and love and help and be uh, fulfilled in the life that I have today. But it's not easy. So, you know, I my whole thing is about transformations are an inside job. And how do you make that transformation? And I, I walk you through the my process of how I've gotten there. But um, but yeah, I think a lot of people are able to resonate with certain pieces of the book because I think, you know, if you haven't dealt with depression, you may have dealt with infertility, you know, and so on and so forth. So so yeah, it's just about going on my life journey with me and and seeing how I was able to evolve and grow. And um, I hope that it will help other people to do the same. Yeah, 100%. And where can people find your book? Um, it is on Amazon and also on, um, let's see, Barnes and Noble. It's basically anywhere you, you go to purchase your books, it, should, it will be there. It'll be listed there. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. So before I wrap up this interview today, I want to thank you for coming on firstly. Thank you. Thank you so much. And do you want to give out any of your social media accounts where anyone can reach you or uh, anything that you want to plug right now? 
Yes, absolutely. So my website is um, ConstanceGJones.com uh, and you can find out a lot about me there. My Instagram is ConstanceG.Jones um, and I just, you know, there's all kinds of fun stuff there. Um, I have uh, a Facebook, which is also Constance Jones. Um, I am Constance Jones, so you can check me out there. But yeah, that's 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 where you can reach me if, if you like. You can also check out our foundation. Um, it's Elevate dot foundation and there you can see all of the the work that we've been doing it within our community i'm going to ask you this question because i i tend to ask this question to a lot of people when working with social media do you handle all of your accounts on your own no <laughs> i used to um you know it's so funny because i'm i'm 40 right but that doesn't yeah. mean that i'm not you know and i haven't evolved with the tech right but i just was never a huge social media person and so you know I have my personal little Facebook page and that was it but once I decided I was going to read the book and um, write the book and have to brand and do all of that stuff um, I realized I needed a little bit of help <laughs> to get that off the ground so so I do have someone that helps me a little bit with some of the posting and everything but it's a definitely a collaborative um, a collaborative thing yeah, right now with the podcast, I'm handling all the social media accounts and I find it is just time consuming and I almost want to have somebody take care of mine for myself as well because it takes up a lot of your time and and yeah. and it's not that I don't love it, but I, do, I also have a nine to five job. I'm yeah. off for the summer because I work in the school system, so I have a little bit more time right now, but mm -hmm. when I go back to work in September, I'm not going to have time for all this. So it's just, yeah. uh, it, it's, it's fun to find out when you have guests on who handles the social media accounts to see if they actually can handle it themselves as well yeah no I yeah <laughs> I mean I get I no <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'm in that boat too I know I'm in the same boat and it, it's just it gets really tough uh, yes yes you gotta love it I think in in order to really spend a ton of time on it because it's, it's, it's overwhelming and then it's also you know you got to make sure you're managing the engagement right do people even care about what I'm posting so um, there's a trial and error in that as well until you kind of get in your groove. So, so yeah, definitely having yeah. something like that is important for me. Well, even before the podcast started, I, I was not on Twitter. I was not on Instagram. I, I was like you. I had my Facebook. I'm 41, so I'm you know around the same age as you. So I was just on the personal Facebook. And I didn't have it. So I had to learn all of this stuff now. And I'm starting to learn a little more and more here and there and mm -hmm. and seeing what little tricks you can do. But still, it's still very time consuming. So, mm -hmm. you know, it, it, it's tough. But hey, if you want to get to where you want to get, then, then then that's what you got to do. You got to put in the work. You definitely got to put in the work. It took me a year and a half to write my book. And um, and yeah, I just I don't know where I found the time. I was working at night and in the morning, YouTube videos or how to self-publish and everything. Those are my best friend. And then I started, you know, watching those videos for self, uh, for social media. Um, but yeah, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, you got a learning curve and you got to put in the work in order to be able to be successful at whatever it is that you want to do in life. So. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. It's it's it it's a new game to us. So yeah. at the end of the day, we're learning and we're going with it, and we're gonna do whatever we can to to get to where we want to go. Yes, absolutely. Awesome. So everybody, go out to Amazon, either Barnes and Noble, go and pick up Constance's book. Uh, you can order it online. You can get it in the stores when the stores do reopen. I'm not sure if they're open down there yet or not. Are, are your stores open right now or are you uh, guys still? You know what? We went back down on a um, a second close closure. So now, you know, that I, I, no, 
<laughs> okay, so everybody order online. Yeah, yeah. Online. Yeah. I Perfect. And we want to thank you for coming on the show. We're happy to be your first Canadian show. Um, thank you. Very glad to have you on there. It was a great conversation. And if you ever want to do it again, you are more than welcome to come back on the show. Oh, well, thank you so much. I really enjoyed my time today. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. And as always, stay safe, be kind to each other, and we'll see you later. Thank you. Bye-bye. Hot Jerky.